Comfort from the Lord is ours, and we all go through storms. It is a common denominator for all of us that we have troubles. There's trouble and suffering under every rooftop. When you're little, it seems like most of your trouble is from not getting your way. But as you get older, your troubles are much more complex than that, right? And it's not about getting your way. You feel like you figured that one out, that you're not supposed to always get your way and you're doing your best to be good. And then troubles come that you have no control over and they seem so unfair and so big, right? Troubles from our health problems that are life-threatening and life-taking. Troubles from family, from car wrecks, everything in between. You know what I'm talking about. We have trouble. Right now, the truth is, in a room with this many people, there's some of you that are feeling just on the edge of uh, a major breakdown because of the trouble that you feel. Others, when I talk this way, you're thinking about troubles of a time when you had more and you're afraid about maybe how those, although they're kind of resolved, there may be more to come. You don't really want to hear me talk about troubles because you're kind of in between troubles. And you're really praying and hoping that a life that has trouble is past. Welcome to planet Earth, right? Troubles introduce us to ourselves. Troubles test our faith. In a God who is there and big enough to fix it, in a God who would love us enough to fix it. Between Sundays, God, like a, a woman kneading the yeast into the dough so it'll rise, God needs the messages we hear when we sit here in church into our lives to make us learn that these really are real truths that we learn. And I'll wager, I'll just say, if he doesn't do that, work us through troubles we actually would have a very, we'd be top heavy. We'd have a very full head of spiritual truth, but it wouldn't really be worked into our lives. And you can see what I'm saying in the way that Jesus handled his disciples. You know, they had it the best. They had Jesus with them. I mean, none of us, we've got him with us, but we can't see him, right? None of us had the human body, Jesus, visible right with us, picked us out of the crowd, said, come live close to me. But they did. Those disciples had Jesus with them. And they got what you and I get from Jesus, and we get it also from watching what he did with them. They had Jesus right there with them, and they still had trouble. So, he would spend time, like Sunday, here, me spending time talking to you. He would spend time teaching the crowds and then even give them a lesson on top of the lesson. When he pulled away from the crowd, he'd say, you know what I was saying to them? This is what the deeper meaning is that they're maybe not getting, but I'm going to tell you because you are my chosen leaders. In fact, in Mark chapter 4 that we're about to read, in chapter 4 it says, he told them this parable and then pulled them aside and told them the meaning. He told them things that he hadn't told the crowds yet. Just what I just said is the backdrop to the storm that he took them through. So imagine what it's like to be those 12. You get to hang out with Jesus. 
He's teaching the crowds. That's great that you're there to hear that, just like you're here as a crowd to hear the sermon and be in church. But then he pulls you aside into the conference room day after day, and he goes, I'm going to tell you for sure what I was meaning when I said that out there and why sometimes I speak in riddles to other people. And I'm going to just tell you so many different things that the other people don't feel. Just how special you feel, right? And along with feeling close to God and special is the feeling like maybe a life of trouble has passed me by. I mean, we've got the guy that can feed people miraculously just like that, right? Raise the dead, heal the sick. He's right here. So after a long day of teaching and they're feeling in their head that they're, they're going to have a trouble-free life, Jesus says, let's get in the boat. <laughs> now, some of you won't even get in a boat because you've been there, done that. You've got the T-shirt. <laughs> he says, let's get in the boat. It's evening. Let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a pretty big lake. Barely see across it. There are other boats with them. They're on the west side. We're heading to the east side. And they go through a storm. Just when they thought, you I mean, you're with Jesus. You don't have troubles, right? They go through a storm. Let's, let's look at the story. Let's read it. Go to the next slide. And uh, it's on the yellow insert. It's in your Bible in Mark chapter 4. I'll read it out loud to you. I'll get to a certain place and I'll say, read this line with me. That way you can pay attention. That day when evening came, after a long day of teaching them, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. Next slide. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, everybody say this, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, everybody, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Faith is like water in a glass. You don't you can have faith without having a full glass. You can have a little bit in the glass. You can have a half full glass. You can have a three-quarters full glass. But faith fills your heart in different quantities, and everybody has a different amount of faith. These guys were professional fishermen. If they'd have seen a storm like this coming, they wouldn't have gotten out on the water. But they had handled a lot of storms before, but this one was the big kahuna. As they're whatever buckets they're using to get the water out, it's nothing, like pail three pails out, right? And then a wave comes and just fills the boat. And here's the thing. Jesus is with us, and we've been living our lives as if our, our times of trouble have passed because we got the living Lord living with us, right? But he's asleep in the front of the boat and he's on a pillow. You know what that means? 
He didn't just nod off accidentally like maybe one of you is doing right now. (laughs) He intended to go to sleep while we'd be in a storm. God is sleeping on his watch. That's not love. That's not care. Right? Psalm 121, Old Testament, the disciples knew the Psalms well. It was part of those Psalms that when you go up to the temple and you'd sing them, they were like the Christmas hymns, right? Psalm 121, we'll look to the hills. That's where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. And then in verse 4, it says, Our Lord who watches Israel will not sleep and will not slumber. Wake him up, right? We're dying. And so, when you're in the middle of a big problem, like I said, problems introduce you to yourself. The raw beliefs and feelings come out. So they don't just say, Jesus, wake up. We pray you, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let this storm be to rest. Don't you care that we're about to drown? Right? Do your prayers ever feel like that? Yeah. He didn't wake up and go, well, that was a a bad prayer. You know, he just stood up. Peace be still. Because he's their gracious Lord. And he's teaching them something. This whole thing is Jesus teaching them something. Just like Deuteronomy said, God told the people I was teaching you. And like he teaches all of us. He's teaching them something. He quiets the whole storm. And remember, everything he's been teaching them, he's now kneading into their life so that it would become thoroughly part of their being and their faith and their cup would grow. They'd have more faith, right? So he says to them, what? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? At, at, at the times that I have been the most frightened that I might be dying... I also remember, and I I think it'll come again, I'm just confessing it, also had the fear that since I'm a preacher of the word, and yet I still have such great fear that I might not have faith. Because after preaching to others, right, head to head, I thought was heart to heart, I looked into the cavern of my heart, and it was not, there was nothing to draw from. Fear, right? And it's like, Jesus, are you really going to say that to us? I mean, who wouldn't be afraid? We were about to die. He says, I want you to look into your heart. I want to introduce you to yourself. It's good to introduce sinners to death long before they die. Because it gets sinners ready for life. And the death and life that follow after that. So he says, well, you've just faced death. You've stared it straight in the face. How's your faith? To be honest, we didn't have very much. That's what they could say, right? We didn't have much faith that you were maybe God anymore because you're sleeping in a boat and not doing anything about it. And then that you'd cared enough if you were God to help us. That's why we said what we said. What's, what's, he, what's he really getting at? I'm with you, 
I am God, and I will take care of you. I will get you to the other side. I am your God, and I am your Savior. If you take their question, don't you care that we're about to drown? And remember what the context is. It's very insightful. Jesus is in the second year of a three-year ministry toward the end of the second year. What happens at the end of the three years? He dies for us, for them, right? He is one year away from dying. How do you feel when you think about a doctor saying you have one year? Jesus is one year from dying for them. And they say, don't you care that we're about to drown? Well, of course I care that you're about to drown. I'm the one that said John 3.16 just months ago to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not what? Say it. They would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm the one that came to save you. The whole reason I came on earth is so you wouldn't drown in hell and drown in the guilt of your sins. I'm guiding your whole lives. And hey, newsflash, you're not going to live forever. You are sinners. <laughs> you brought death into your own life through your own sin. And I came to rescue you out of it. You are saved. I am your Savior. And you know what? Until the day that I decide with the Father, it's time for you to come to heaven, I'm going to quiet the storms. It would have been good to wake me up and say, Lord, could you quiet the storm for us? Or is this the time you're taking us to heaven? But no, I want to show you and introduce you to yourself that you have some room to grow in your faith. I am God. I am in the boat with you. I do love you. And I'm going to get you safely to the other side. And in, in this little story is a metaphor of your whole life. I, I will remember what he said after he died on the cross and rose again. And before he ascended, he said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you in your life. And I'm going to guide you through things. So when I lead you into a trouble... We're going to go, hey, let's get in the boat. We're going to the other side. When I lead you into a trouble in your life, dear Christian, I'm going to be with you. And I do want you to pray to me instead of get frantic or think that it all depends on your own work, your own bailing, right? Or yelling at your family, bail harder, bail harder. We wouldn't be in this pickle if it wasn't for you. Enough of that, right? James, Jesus' brother, he wasn't one of those 12 in the boat. James said later, you know why you fight? He says, you fight because you forget that if you ask God, he'll take care of it. James chapter 4. He just want, James said, he just wants you to pray to him. And so Jesus wanted them to learn the, the power that he had that would be released when you pray. He want, and, and you've got stories, don't you? You weren't in a boat, maybe. Maybe you're in, some, you know, you're in some other situation, but you've prayed and you've watched. If you've lived long enough, you've watched God work it out, haven't you? We've all got them. 
And the disciples would have them. It's a metaphor of their whole life. And just like he calmed that storm, when just a few years later after he had died for them and then they lived their lives out, they didn't live that long after this themselves. When they faced death, he calmed the storm in their heart that they had because they were fearful of death at that time when they really died. He calmed the storm and so they would die in the faith. But this was a metaphor of what was to come. So all these troubles that we go through and we pray about and then we get a miracle of deliverance, they are the dress rehearsal for the big dance. And the big dance is when this storm takes us out and God takes us up to heaven through the mercies of Jesus who died on the cross to remove the sin and the death that we're so afraid of. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'll keep preaching if you don't nod. <laughs> Jesus is in the boat with us and you're going to get safely to the other side. Um, I said we all have stories and you know pastors all have stories. I have I one to share with you today of a man who I... You, you just, as a, as a shepherd, and you get, you get a ticket into the inner sanctum of people's sufferings. You'll come to the hospital to see me. Come to my house to see me. Pastor, I, I, I don't, I don't, I've never told anybody this, but I want to tell you. You just get that ticket as a, as a, a servant of the king. And uh, his name is Don Thompson. I was a kid he saw grow up at our, my home church. He hung out with my parents. My parents had both gone to glory his wife, Don's wife, first wife, had gone to glory. I think maybe Dale and Mooney know Don and Dee Thompson. Dee, Dee, his first wife, vibrant Christian woman. God just took her in a storm one day with an aneurysm. She walked out of the den. She went into the bedroom. I've got a headache. Boom, fell on the bed, went to glory. I hadn't seen or talked to Don since I heard about that for 10 years. And I got a phone call from Don from the hospital here in Austin. They're all Dallas people and in Austin. And he said, this is Don Thompson. Can you come and see me, Pastor Patterson? I saw you grow up. You know, that's when someone said, you better get down here. So when I went to see him, he, he told me he, the reason he was at, at a doctor in Austin, although he lived closer to Dallas, was that his son was a, a heart doctor at the Heart Hospital of Austin in the emergency department. And of course, he knew people that would help his daddy and get past some of the slowdown that can happen in medical care, right? And, he's, and, and so he's telling me that he's had heart trouble for a long time, partly by his own doing, not taking care of his body. He said, I have 27 stents around my heart. You know those little stents we, they put to save your life? Now, I was standing there over him. I have one. <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Woo! I only have one. He's got 27 Held up by that. He, he called me down because he wanted God's word. Because it's, it was nerve-wracking. And he's a Christian. And he wanted the comfort of the gospel. And he wanted the Lord's Supper. And we did all of that. And uh, a year passed. And I hadn't seen him. And you know, I'd gone back a few times. But I hadn't seen him in a long time. I got the phone call. I'm back in the hospital. I had a new intern. We call those a vicar. Come on, vicar. We're going to the hospital to see a, a Christian. And while we're driving down there... I said, hey, you're not going to believe this, but this guy has 27 stents on his heart. Vicar's eyes are really big. Oh, we got there. We're, Don's a very, um, 
outgoing, transparent, uh, man's man, was a pro baseball player for a little while, right? That kind of guy. So <laughs> standing there at the bedside, and I said, Don, I just got to check with you. I said, it's been a while since I've seen you. I, I told the vicar we were on the way down here, and I, I want to know if I'm exaggerating. Did you tell me you have 27 stents in your heart? He said, I did, but now I have 41. You talk about storm after storm, right? As each new heart event happened, 41 stents, right? Well, as, as time went on, he got to where his heart could not be held up by the crutches any longer. And he's in his late 60s, and he's failing fast, and he was on a heart transplant list. And his son called me, and he said, my dad had a heart transplant three days ago. I said, ah, that's great. I can't believe that. He goes, come down and see him. So while I'm waiting to see him, his son, the heart doctor, sitting out in the, in the hallway says, let me tell you a story. He said, we got the phone call that a 27-year-old in Phoenix, Arizona, had been in a car wreck that was a match for my dad. And he said, so they took that heart and they put it in, on ice and put it in a plane, a little, a little jet plane. And they said they flew it toward Austin. And he said there was a huge storm on the west side of Austin. And he said they only have so much time. And if they can't land that plane, do you know what they do with that heart? They give it to somebody else. They make a decision while the plane is in the air. And they move on to the next person. And he said pastor and this son grew up he's a christian he grew up at the same church i did he said i prayed and prayed and prayed god please give my dad this heart i know it's your your heart you do what you want to with it and he said for for an hour only an hour he said that storm opened up and that plane was able to come through without turbulence that would you know be dangerous they landed that plane and my dad got that heart and all god's people said Amen, right? Hallelujah. That was great. He calmed the storm, didn't he? They prayed and God, Jesus said, yes, I'm with you in the boat. I'm going to get you safely to the other side. But guess what? Getting a heart's not the other side. We're still on this side. So five years passed and Don called me from the hospital down Seton, downtown. He said, Pastor, I, I want you to come see me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm dying of cancer. So I went to see him. And while I sat there, this man full of faith and completely wrenched in his body knew that he only had a, maybe days and he in fact passed within the week. And he was full of faith. And he said, the Lord has delivered me from many brushes with death. But now I know he's ready to take me to heaven. And he said, I want the Lord to suffer for the forgiveness of my sins, and I want to be close to him, and I want to know that God loves me and hear from you the word of God. And we're nodding, aren't we? That's life. That's life with Jesus. That's what Jesus does. He came and saved our soul and gave us eternal life. He gives us insight so that we understand in these troubles that we're in, pray about it. Give it to God in prayer. But don't pray like this. Don't you care? <laughs> Just say, Lord, I know you care. You died on the cross for me. Will you deliver me from this? And thank you that you're gonna, you've already delivered me so that if this is the moment you take me to glory, I'm ready. I'm going to heaven with you. Amen.